Good morning. Good morning. For those who are new or who uh, I've not met before, my name's John. Uh, I'm uh, the curate here, one of the curates here, in fact. Um, That may have already been said. Sorry if it has, and I'm introducing myself again, but hello. It's good to see you all. Uh, Shall we pray before we jump into this passage together? Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us each time we come to it. And we pray that by your spirit uh, within us and working through us, that you would speak words of life to us this morning. So we pray, come Holy Spirit, come Spirit of Jesus, and direct our thinking, direct my speaking, and as a result of, of what we do this morning, direct our living. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you were here a few weeks ago, um, you would have, uh, might remember me telling the story of uh, using the free weights at my gym for the first time. This is a big moment for me. It took a lot of bravery to go over there. Uh, and if you were here when I told that story, you might remember that I said that the reason I went over is because I had a friend uh, who took me over uh, and explained to me how to use uh, the, the weights, the kind of the barbell and all that exciting stuff in the gym, how to use the weights properly. But what I didn't mention at the time is that I was a very reluctant student. I didn't want my friend to take me over to the free weights. In fact, what I wanted him to do, we went to work out together, and I wanted him to show me a routine uh, on, the, on the machines, you know, the really safe-looking things which tell you what to do and how to do it, and it seems difficult to get wrong. Because in my mind, the, the weights are, are a scary territory for professionals, I thought the machines were safe and easy to use and and exactly where I should be as a novice. And I didn't want anything to do uh, with that scary section of the gym. But luckily, my friend knew better than I did. And it turns out, some of you may know this, but actually the free weights are far better uh, in many instances for beginners. It's much easier to use the free weights properly You can get a much better workout. In fact, the machines, you're far more likely to hurt yourself if you don't know what you're doing. And I can guarantee you I don't know what I'm doing. I went to the gym with my friend hoping for one thing. But it turns out that I didn't know really what I wanted. More specifically, I didn't know what I needed. But luckily, my friend did. And so he offered me a better option. And in the passage that we've just read this morning, this encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus, I think we see something similar happening. It's not a gym in sight as far as I'm aware, but I think some of the dynamic is very similar. Because Nicodemus, we see in this passage, doesn't really know what he needs or what he wants from Jesus. And so he comes asking for all the wrong things, asking all the wrong questions. But Jesus has something better for him. And so he redirects Nicodemus towards the place he should be. And this morning, as we look at this passage, I believe that Jesus has something better for you and for me as well. So let's jump in. Let's jump into this passage to see exactly what Jesus is doing. Because in verses 1 and 2, we read about Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the dead of night because he's heard something about this man. 
He's heard something about Jesus and what he's been doing, and he wants to know more. But Nicodemus, we see in these verses, comes with a particular expectation of what he wants to get and who he thinks Jesus is. Because we see in these verses, in verse 2 in particular, that Nicodemus just thinks that Jesus is another teacher. Yes, he thinks Jesus is a, a special and unique teacher, someone with particular knowledge to share with him and with Israel about God. But that's all Nicodemus thinks Jesus is. And I wonder how often it is that you and I come to God with similarly limited expectations of what he might want to do. Only to discover, as we meet with Jesus, as we meet with God in that place of encounter, that God actually wants to do something better and something bigger than we'd hoped or expected. You know, so I think a lot of us are like Nicodemus. Maybe not so explicitly, maybe we don't come with this idea that Jesus is just a teacher, but I think often we come to places of encounter with God. We come to church just expecting for another information download, some new teaching, some new piece of advice for life that God might bring that we can store away, add to our bank of information, and then move on. Maybe that's not what you come looking for. Maybe for you it's, it's a spiritual experience that you come to Jesus for. You come hoping for that experience that will warm your heart and make your fingers tingle so that you can go out into the week filled up and empowered to do whatever it is you are going to be doing. Or perhaps you don't really know why you're here at all. And you're not really expecting anything. You don't think God has anything for you this morning or whenever you come to meet with him. Each of these perspectives isn't necessarily wrong. They're not bad. Sometimes they're the right approach to come to God with. But, but maybe, just maybe, God has something better in store for you than you are expecting as you bring it to him. I believe he does. I believe he had something better for Nicodemus. And that's what we see in this passage. Because as, as we perhaps know, but Nicodemus clearly didn't, Jesus is more than just a teacher. And so in verses 3 and, uh, and 5, we see that Jesus tries to take the conversation from the level that Nicodemus started it up to the level that it should be at. Because Jesus, he says in this passage we see, is the one who comes proclaiming and bringing the kingdom of God. Nicodemus comes on one level and Jesus elevates it to a conversation about the kingdom of God. And I just want to zoom out for a moment and unpack that term and some of these phrases that we see throughout this passage. Because in John 3, in these words we just heard read, and, and in the entire New Testament, what we see are multiple metaphors and descriptors that all point towards the same thing. Maybe you picked some of them up as we were reading through this passage. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. He talks about eternal life. He talks about being born again. He talks about salvation. 
Each of these phrases that come out throughout this passage are all pointing to the same thing. When you hear one of them, you can bring in all of your expectations and thoughts about the others because they're all pointing towards the same reality. That the reality that we're, we're talking about in this series that we're calling abundant life. Jesus comes proclaiming and bringing abundant life. Abundant life is a life in which you know and are known by God. In which his pure and good life force fills you and pours out of you. And you experience the blessing of God's goodness in your heart, your soul, your mind and in your strength. The abundant life that Jesus brings is a life that is stronger than death, better than any bliss this world can offer, and that is united in perfect harmony with our Savior and our Creator. This life is for eternity, but it also is for today. It's something that Jesus says will bubble up like a spring within your soul, in the soul of anyone who believes in him. It wipes clean the stain of sin, banishes the power of death, conquers the force of evil. It's a life that's too big to contain with just one expression, one description, one metaphor. And so the New Testament is full of them to help you grasp everything that Jesus is talking about. It's life, it's salvation, it's coming into a new kingdom with a new king. And as Nicodemus comes to Jesus asking for just another teaching, believing that Jesus is just another teacher with another message, Jesus redirects the conversation. And he says, that's not what you need. What you need is abundant life. It's as if Jesus says to Nicodemus, and I, and I believe Jesus says to us this morning, don't just come to me for this small thing that you think you need. Come to me for abundant, eternal, full life. And Nicodemus, we see in this passage, just doesn't get it. And so we have A number of verses, verses about 6 through to about 13, of just back and forwards and confusion. And eventually we come to verse 14. And this strange but all-important story that Jesus offers to Nicodemus to try and get through to him what he's talking about. You might remember verse 14 uh, from our reading. It's that weird bit with the snake. That's a weird verse, isn't it? Jesus here is pointing back to a part of the Old Testament, uh, Numbers 21, the first five books of the Bible. It's right in there. And, And it's a story in which God's people are traveling through the wilderness, having escaped slavery in Egypt, and are heading towards the promised land. But they begin to grumble. They're fed up with the story that God has called them up into. And so they turn their backs on God and begin to betray him. And in that account, we we read that as uh, God uh, responds to the the, the failure, the betrayal of his people, the way he responds is with judgment and punishment. 
And he brings that in the form of a plague of poisonous snakes. So God's people turn against him and God sends a plague of poisonous snakes. And these snakes attack the Israelites in Numbers 21 and they begin to die. Until Moses, their leader, intercedes on their behalf to God and asks God to forgive them and save them. And God does. He agrees and he tells, the way, it tells Moses that the way he's going to bring about this salvation is that Moses is to build a bronze snake, put it on the top of the pole and hold it up in the middle of the people of God. And anyone in the people of God who want to be saved are to look at the bronze snake and they won't die. They're healed and they live. So there you go. Jesus clears it all up for us, makes it nice and simple to understand. No, it's weird. It's a weird story. It's a strange account in the Old Testament that Jesus chooses to point back to. But stick with me because he does it for a reason. Because here's what happened. God's people sinned against him. And the consequence of that sin was death. But God, in his mercy and forgiveness, provides a solution for them. A pathway to life, a pathway to salvation, a pathway back into the kingdom of God. And the way he provides is this snake. Now the snake doesn't have any magical healing properties. This isn't a magical snake, but rather it's an invitation for the Israelites to trust in God again. Because why would you hope for a bronze statue to save you unless you trusted the person who said that it would. The snake in and of itself isn't important. It's an invitation to say, believe in me. Look to the place that I tell you to look. And the Israelites who do, the Israelites who trust in God, are saved. Well, Jesus points back to this story, this strange story of trust and snakes. And he says that this story points to me it points to Jesus verse 14 Jesus says this just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness so the son of man must be lifted up here's a tip for you as we continue reading through the gospel of John whenever you hear that phrase lifted up in the gospel of John there's a good chance that what the author wants you to be thinking about is the cross the crucifixion of Jesus Christ when he was lifted up and killed. What Jesus is saying is just like that snake was put on a pole and lifted up, so too will I be lifted up on the cross so that those who trust as they look to me can be saved. Just like the Israelites have been poisoned because of their sin infected by a disease that they had no hope to save themselves from. So too had Nicodemus. So too have you and I been polluted by a sickness that we can't heal for ourselves. The Bible has a a number of different ways of talking about this sickness. It talks about sin. It talks about death. It talks about the plague of evil. Whatever language we use, the Bible recognizes that humanity has a problem that leads to death 
and for which we need a solution. And Jesus, by pointing to this strange story from the Old Testament, is telling us that the solution is trust. Just like the Israelites had to believe in God and look to the snake, so too you and I need to believe in God and look to the crucified Jesus Christ. We need to put our trust in his death for us, to put our faith in him. If you were here last week, you would have heard that illustration from David of of faith being putting your full weight onto something. We need to put our full weight in who Jesus is and what he did. Because on the cross, God is providing a way to life, to salvation, into his kingdom. On the cross, we find the pathway that leads to abundant and eternal life. Nicodemus came to Jesus looking for just another teaching. But Jesus came announcing and bringing something much, much better. Life, healing, forgiveness, restoration for those who trust in him. And so after this strange story, we land in the famous verse, John 3, 16. And I just want to finish by making two quick observations from this verse that ties together everything that Jesus has been doing, taking Nicodemus through this journey towards what he really needs, pointing him towards something better that can be found in him. Firstly, Verse 16 reminds us that abundant life, life in the full, life with Jesus is for anyone. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Sin in the Bible is not just the problem of the other. It's not just the problem of the bad, of the failures. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, we're told that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is my problem. It's our problem. May I suggest that sin is your problem. But the good news is that God's solution for salvation is offered not only to a select few. You don't need to be a member of a particular class or a particular race. You don't need to reach a certain level of knowledge or attain a certain height of morality. Just like the Israelites in the wilderness, all you need to do, Jesus tells us, is trust. To look to the Son of God lifted up on the cross. Because whoever trusts in Jesus, will receive abundant life. You know, I really like that word, trust, that invitation to put our trust in Jesus, because I think we all understand trust a little bit better than faith and belief. Because to trust someone means to believe that they are who they say they are. When you trust someone, you listen to the wisdom that they have for your life. When you deeply trust someone, you follow them 
and you model your life after them because you believe that they know what is good for you and that they're worth listening to. And it's that sort of response, it's that sort of trust that God invites us to today if you want to find life in him. Many of us, I certainly don't have it all intellectually sorted out. Maybe as you look at the church, you're not sure about everything that you see. Maybe you came here this morning looking for something entirely different. That's fine. Jesus' invitation is to put your trust in him and in trusting him to find life. And that's his invitation to us today. It's so much better than anything else we might hope to gain from Jesus. Jesus invites whoever to trust in him and find life. That's the first thing. Secondly, the new life that Jesus offers us isn't just something for after we're dead, but it's something for today. John 3.16 again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That have, this verse, is in the present tense. In his conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus expected that abundant life he offered to those who trusted him would be like the wind rushing through a tree. People might not be able to see exactly where it had come from. They might not fully understand why the tree was moving. But they would be able to see the impact of the wind on the tree. Jesus expected the abundant life he came offering those who trusted in him to move us in the here and now. And so I wonder if you're here this morning and you're a Christian Can you see the movement in the leaves of your life, of the new life, the abundant life, the wind of God blowing through you? Can you see it? Is the new and abundant life evident in how you live? Do you see in your life, as the Bible describes elsewhere, a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Do you see it? I was challenged by this uh, literally yesterday. I was reading through uh, Matthew's gospel and I came to a bit where Jesus was uh, teaching his disciples to forgive others as they had been forgiven. And as I read it, I was acutely aware in my own soul that, do you know, I'm not sure I could do this. I'm not sure I'm yet the sort of person who can forgive in the way that I have been forgiven. And my response to that, that sense of, of the wind of God not rustling the leaves of my life, was not to determine to fix myself before I dared to come back to God. It wasn't to beat myself up over my shortcomings. No, I've committed to come to Jesus in prayer and ask for him to bring by his spirit abundant life in my soul, a life that bears fruit today. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you look at aspects of your life where you're aware 
that you're not stepping in, you're not living out the something better that Jesus has for each one of us. That the abundant life that Jesus brings and proclaims could take a deeper root in your soul. If that's you, then this interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus reminds us that we need to trust and come to him and to allow him to work in us the new life, the salvation, the coming of the kingdom that he offers. Today, you and I can ask the spirit of Jesus to blow through us again and move us to be more like Jesus. Jesus has something better for us than perhaps we dare dream. He wants to save us, to give us new and abundant life. He wants it to start today, not just in eternity, so that our lives will be transformed and shine with the presence of his spirit. The call to us is not to do more, it's not to strive harder, but it's to trust in him and the life that he brings. And so I'd simply like to offer us a chance this morning to turn again to Jesus and trust, knowing that when we trust in him, he brings the life that we can't bring ourselves. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite anyone who wants to pray with me to, why don't we do like this, to stand. So if you're here this morning and you've not put your trust in Jesus but you want to, you want to find abundant life. Maybe it's not what you came here this morning looking for, but you want to find it. Or if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, but you want to see the life that he promises for today springing forth in your heart and in your life, uh, then I'm going to pray for myself and I'd like to pray for anyone else who wants that as well. So if that's you, I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to pray for one another and then we're going to worship. So why don't you stand if you want that? And why don't I pray? Spirit of Jesus, Jesus Christ, we trust in you. We turn to you. And God, we put aside the small that we perhaps too often come looking for. And we press into the something better that you have. So Lord Jesus, for myself and for my brothers and sisters, as we, as we long to trust in you, we ask that you'd come by your spirit, blow through the leaves of our life and lead our lives to look more like the life you came proclaiming and bringing. For those of us who are making this declaration for the first time, Lord, we're sorry for our sin. We want to thank you that you came to save us. And we say, please come and bring that abundant life in our hearts now. Come, Holy Spirit.